Chapter 3 Political Pressures at Home Back in Frankfurt, things got worse for Helena and the children. The food and clothing they needed were strictly rationed and could be bought only if Helena turned in the appropriate ration cards. Everyone received one potato and two slices of bread per day, and children got one pint of milk. Later at Christmas, there was one orange, and at Easter time, everyone would be entitled to one egg. Every six months, a can of ham was provided, and every spring, each child was given a pair of shoes. Still, morale stayed high. Hitler had started invading neighboring countries without much opposition, and Germans optimistically hoped that the war would soon be over. Kurt and Lotte both attended the Ludwig Richter Schule. Kurt loved school, mainly because it was there he heard thrilling daily news of Hitler's progress. His teacher told of Germany's fleet of submarines and warships, the aeroplanes, the bombs, the tanks, and the wonderful new secret weapon Hitler was developing. Helena, however, soon had to deal with threats to her beliefs that were much more serious than the brainwashing Lotta and Kurt got in school. The Nationalsozialistische Deutsche Arbeiterpartei, the National Socialist German Workers' Party, had become very strong and now dominated German politics. People felt it an honor to be a Nazi, as its members were called. And party members were given many privileges, including greater rations and jobs if they wanted them. Yet Helena knew she could never embrace Nazi ideals. However, it wasn't easy to stay on the opposite side. In stores and public places, people knew immediately where your loyalties lay by whether you used the new German greeting, Heil Hitler, which meant salvation to Hitler, while raising your arm. If you continued to use the traditional Guten Morgen or Guten Tag, you were thought of as disloyal to your country. Helena refused to buckle under the pressure. One evening she answered a knock at the door. There stood Herr Doring, a neighbor who had become a party official. Heil Hitler, he greeted her, saluting with an outstretched arm. Good evening, Helena replied cautiously. May I come in a moment? Silently, Helena opened the door and led him into the living room. Frau Hassel, he began, we have noticed that you are not yet a member of our party. Over the years, I have observed that you and your husband have been exemplary citizens. You are the kind of people we want to be Nazis. I have been sent here to extend an invitation to you to join the party. Helena looked at him with her clear blue eyes as he explained the benefits she would be entitled to as a party member. Rations will be doubled, he said. Your children will receive not one, but two pairs of shoes a year, two sets of clothes, and a warm coat for winter. You and your children will get a six-week vacation at a summer resort in the mountains or at the sea with unrationed food. You can eat all you want. Lord, she silently prayed, what am I to do here? If I don't join, I will alienate this man and endanger the lives of my little children and myself. Maybe this is the time where it would be well to outwardly comply like Queen Esther and remain true to my face and my heart. Give me wisdom. Herr Doring finished his appeal, put a party application and a pen into her hand and looked at her expectantly. Helena handed them back. Herr Doring, she said, 
My husband has been at the front line since the first day of the war. I noticed that the men who are party members are still here. I don't want to join a party like that. Besides, I already belong to a party. What party would that be? he asked with disdain. It's the party of Jesus Christ. I need no other, Helena responded. Herr Doreen seemed stunned at her daring. Then the color of humiliation rose to his cheeks. We'll see about that, he hissed through clenched teeth. Stomping out of the room, he slammed the apartment door behind him. From that day, he was Helena's enemy. Though he knew that she was a Seventh-day Adventist, he began spreading the rumor that she was a Jew, which would cause her much difficulty as the war went on. Often he rang her doorbell at midnight while beating with his fists on the door. With pounding heart, Helena would open it, thinking it was the Gestapo out on a midnight raid to arrest her. But there stood Herr Doring. Tomorrow night, he would growl, your children will be taken from you unless you join the party. Sometimes Helena and the children hid in a neighbor's apartment until she thought it was safe again at home. Other times she ignored the midnight racket while the terrified children hid under their beds. Months passed. Disillusioned, the Germans were forced to recognize that the conflict was going to take longer than expected. Still, they felt that victory was certain. Living conditions got worse. Since more and more men were being drafted, farms became less productive and food grew scarce even with ration cards. In public, each Jew was now required to wear a bright yellow star pinned to his or her clothing or displayed on a black armband. No longer were they permitted in movie theaters, concert halls, or even public parks. In grocery stores, they were served last, if at all, and Germans who were friendly with Jews were denounced as unpatriotic. Frau Holling was a neighbor who had lived in the Hassel's apartment building for years. Her husband was a soldier, and she was well-liked and respected. One morning as Helena left the house to go to the grocery store, she saw Frau Holling with a shopping bag and waited for her. With shock, she noticed the yellow star pinned to her coat. Helena hadn't realized that Frau Holling was Jewish. Good morning, Helena greeted her cheerfully. I see you are going shopping too. Let's go together. As the two passed Herr Doring's living room window, Helena saw the lace curtain open a crack and then close again. Her fraternizing with a Jew had been duly observed. Oh, Frau Hossel, Frau Holling began. I don't know how things can continue. The neighbors who have been friendly to me for years won't even greet me anymore, much less speak to me. In the grocery store, they won't serve me until all the Aryans have left. Sometimes I have to wait outside for hours, and then I am given the worst of the produce. Often they won't sell me anything. Listen, Helena said, I have a plan. You tell me what you need and give me your ration cards, and I will buy your things for you while you wait around the corner so they don't see you. Frau Holling swallowed. Frau Hassel, you can't do that. It is dangerous for you to even talk to me. If you are found out, you are lost. I am a believer, said Helena simply. God is able to protect his children. That includes both you and me. I will never forget your kindness, Frau Holling said fervently. Now I know who my true friends are. From then on, Helena bought Frau Holling's groceries, as well as her own. One evening, a few weeks later, Helena heard a soft tap on the door. Frau Holling stood there in tears. Quickly, Helena pulled her inside. 
What has happened? Have you had news of your husband? Oh, Frau Hassel, the woman sobbed. A friend of mine has discovered that I will be arrested soon and sent to a concentration camp. I have stored my furniture with friends. If I am taken, and if my husband comes back, please tell him what happened to me. Weeping, the two women embraced. Then Frau Holling stole out of the apartment. The next morning, as Helena scrubbed the stone stairs of the landing, she heard some neighbor woman talking. The Gestapo came last night and arrested Frau Holling, said one. She was shipped to Theresienstadt. It's just as well, someone else said. We don't want enemies of the country around. Then they lowered their voices and in whispers continued their conversation. Helena looked at them and saw that they were casting significant glances in her direction. After the war, Frau Holling would return. The Theresienstadt camp had been liberated just days before she had been slated for execution. Once she was back in her old neighborhood, her neighbors, afraid that she would denounce them, went out of their way to be friendly to her, but she refused to have anything to do with them. Frankfurt began to feel poverty's pinch even more painfully. In the fall, after the farmers had harvested their potatoes, Helena got permission to glean the fields for what was left. Every day after school, she took the children and the little ladder-sided handcart and went to the fields to dig up the tiny cherry-sized potatoes. Slowly they filled up the burlap sacks, a hundred pounds in each. They did not stop until the ground was hard-frozen. It had been grueling, back-breaking labor, but their cellar now held thirty sacks full, enough food for the winter. One night during those bitter months, Helena heard a soft knock on the door. She opened it a crack. A neighbor slipped in, wringing her hands. Frau Hassel, for God's sake, you have to help me, she gasped. There's no one I can trust. Please have pity on me. Helena pulled the distraught woman into the living room. Frau Neumann usually kept to herself. All Helena knew was that her husband had been killed in battle several months ago. Please calm down. What is the matter? Helena now inquired. In whispers, the story unfolded. Frau Neumann was connected to the underground movement. She had been hiding Jews until the underground was able to relocate them with trusted families in the country. Right now, she was harboring a 13-year-old boy. Someone had tipped her off that the Gestapo, the feared secret police, were going to raid her apartment. Frau Hasso, please hide this boy for me, she now pleaded. No one will suspect you. If you don't help me, we'll both be lost. Little did Frau Neumann know that Helena was suspect already because of her stance on Sabbath-keeping and her refusal to join the party. Helena thought of her own three young children who would be endangered by this action. But she couldn't send this boy to his death. Quickly, she agreed. In the depth of the night, the boy arrived. Waiting by the door, Helena silently opened it and let him in. The children were given strict orders to tell no one of their secret guest. For several days, all remained quiet. Then one afternoon, Helena answered the doorbell to three men dressed in long black leather coats, the Gestapo. Frau Hassel, they began without preliminaries. You are under suspicion of hiding a Jew in your apartment. We have a search warrant. You know what will happen to you and your family if we find him. It was a statement, not a question. Now we are asking you. Are you hiding a Jew? Confused thoughts shot through Helena's mind. 
Will God forgive a lie if it can save the boy and us? If I tell the truth, we are all lost. Lord, help me. Stepping out of the way, she finally stammered, If you want to, you may search my apartment. For a hustle, the man asked again. Are you hiding a Jew? Again, Helena invited them to search the apartment. A third time they asked, Tell us, are you hiding a Jew? Opening the door wide, Helena motioned to the men. Feel free to search the apartment. The men looked at each other. Then, without another word, they turned and left. A few days later, the underground picked the boy up and moved him to safety in the country where he survived the war. In school, Kurt and Lotta were brainwashed daily about Aryan supremacy and Germany's inevitable victory. Whenever large numbers of Frankfurt men were drafted and transported to the front, the children were assembled in the schoolyard where they had to stand with their right arms raised in the Hitler salute while listening to lengthy political harangues. In time, the children developed a strategy to cope with their exhaustion. Upon a prearranged signal, a fight would erupt in a corner of the schoolyard. While the staff's attention was distracted, the entire student body switched arms. The harassed teachers never noticed that the rally was concluded by the children saluting with their left arms. But of a more immediate concern than the brainwashing was the problem of Sabbath-keeping. School met six days a week. Traditionally, Adventists had gotten permission to have their children exempt from Sabbath attendance. Now things were different. To keep your children home on Sabbath meant you were suspected of being Jewish. After deliberation, the president of the Hessian Seventh-day Adventist Conference recommended to the church members that because of the dangerous political situation, they should send their children to school on Sabbath until the war was over. God will understand our extreme circumstances, he assured his flock. Helena carefully considered his advice. Already she was suspected of being a Jew. Why aggravate the party officials even more? But then she remembered Papa's parting prayer before he left for the war. Help us to be faithful to what we believe. She determined to be faithful in Sabbath-keeping and asked God for special strength in the face of this temptation. On Sabbath mornings, she and the children quietly left the house to take the tram to church. Soon, she received a letter from the principal asking her to his office. Frau Hassel, he said, the teachers are reporting to me that your children are not attending school on Saturday. Are you Jews? No, said Helena. We are Aryans, but we are also Seventh-day Adventists. Please explain to me what is happening. According to the Bible, Helena said, Saturday is the Sabbath on which we are to worship God. Up to now, my children have always been excused from Saturday attendance. I know this is a big decision for you, but I would like your permission to keep them home on Saturdays. The principal stared out the window for a time, then sighed and shook his head. Rahasel, he said, I cannot help you. I admire your principles, but I cannot support you. I have been accused by party officials of harboring Jews in my school. He rose to his feet. I must insist that your children attend school on Saturday. I assure you that I must and I will personally check to see that they are there. I have been told that I will lose my job if I don't enforce compliance with Saturday attendance. Helena knew that he spoke the truth. Only a few years earlier, a Jewish family by the name of Frank 
with their young daughters Anne and Margot, had moved into the Hassel's neighborhood and had enrolled Margot in this very same Ludwig Richter Schule. At the time, a law had just been enacted entitled Reform of the Civil Service, which decreed that all institutions of the Reich, including schools and universities, were to be cleansed of Jews. When Walter Hoesken, Margot's principal, allowed her to remain, both he and Margot's teacher were fired by the Nazis. Helena thought, Is it really worth creating such an uproar over two hours of school on Sabbath morning? After all, we still have the rest of the day to keep Sabbath and worship God. Do I have the right to jeopardize this man's job? Is God that particular? Then she heard God speaking to her heart. Whoever is faithful in small matters will be faithful in large ones. She spoke quietly and respectfully. I am accountable to God, not to you, she said. I will not send my children to school on Saturday. Very well, the principal replied. I am not responsible for the consequences. What do you want me to say when I am questioned? Send the party officials and the school board members to me. God will fight for me if I am faithful. Helena went home, gathered the children around her and prayed. Lord, these are dangerous times for us. Give me wisdom to know how to act. Give me courage to stand for the truth. Protect us from the enemies in our own country. She paused, holding her children close. Lord, she whispered fervently, don't ever let my children become more important to me than you are. Don't let them become my idols. A few days later, the children brought news. Their principal had been relieved of his responsibilities for another reason. He'd been drafted into the army. A few weeks later, Helena read in the paper that he had been killed in action. Herr Doring, realizing that his harassment had failed to intimidate Helena, chose other tactics. One day, some well-dressed women showed up on her doorstep. Frau Hassel, they said, perhaps you do not know about the many ways the Führer supports the women and children of Germany. We would like to invite you to join the Nazi League of Women. If you do, your rations will be increased and your clothing allowances will be raised. You and your children will be sent to the country on vacations and the government will pay for it. And Kurt and Lotte and Gert will be able to attend summer camp. They're telling the truth, Helena thought. I've seen my Nazi neighbors coming back from their vacations rested and tanned, their children plump and well-dressed. Yet, I want nothing to do with Hitler's system, because if I accept their benefits, I'll be unable to refuse their demands. The women made several visits. I am sorry, Helena kept telling them. I cannot join the League. Yet they kept trying. One cold, early spring evening, Kurt opened the door to the persistent women. May we see our mother? they asked. My mother is resting. She has a fever, he said. This is very important, they said. So Kurt showed them to her bedroom. The women politely inquired after Helena's health, and then their faces grew very serious. Since Germany is now being attacked by enemy bombers, their spokesperson said, the Führer has ordered that for safety reasons, children should be evacuated to the country. Helena looked alarmed. And the Nazi League of Women has been asked to carry out this order, they continued. 
We have all the papers drawn up for you. You just need to sign them. Helena reached for the papers and began to study them carefully. Oh, you don't need to read the fine print, one woman said. You know how tedious that is. It's just a formality. In summary, it states that you agree to have your children placed in a lovely retreat in Bavaria, where they will receive good food and will be taken care of. Now, if you'll just sign, we won't bother you any longer. We will take care of all the details. Helena, burning with fever, said, This sounds crazy to me. Children belong with their mothers. Despite their protest, she read the document and learned that with her signature, she would agree to sign her children over to the government to be placed into concentration camps. Handing the papers back, she said, I will not sign these. Dropping their polite facade, the women stood up angrily. We will report you, said the spokesperson. There will be consequences. You will be hearing from us. When the door closed behind them, Helena fell back into the pillows, exhausted. That night, the children noticed that their mother's prayers were more urgent and chillingly different. Our father, I ask for your protection from harm and danger. Please let me never be separated from my children. If we live, let us live together. If we die, let us die together. Consequences there were, but in ways neither the women nor Helena could know at the time. After the war, when the Americans arrived, Helena saw these same women driven from their homes by the soldiers, allowed to take nothing with them but their handbags. Production of Solemn Appeal Ministries, all rights reserved. For more information, please visit us at solemnappeal.com or call 1 888 449 1452.